Welcome to Truth Serum, a podcast of Crossover Bible Fellowship. In today's episode, we are going to discuss the value of the Black church. So the other day, I had a conversation, and the topic of white church versus Black church came up, and there was a lot of different opinions about it. People had different thoughts about it. And, you know, is either necessary? Is there unity? A lot of that conversation happened, and it really kind of led into the episode that we're talking about today. It's interesting that conversation happened just the other day, even though we already had this episode planned. So it shows that just in today's culture, it's a relevant topic. So the thing we really want to look at is if as believers in Christ, we're supposed to be unified in one body, why is it that Sunday is still one of the most segregated days of the week? So what is the value of the black church and how has it contributed to the Christian faith at large? That's what we're going to get into today on the Truth Serum Podcast. So, as always, let's do an intro, see how everybody's doing. Uh, obviously, this is Nathan talking to you all, but let's kick it off and see Aaron. How are things going with you? Man, things are going pretty well. Um, I'm excited to be on the podcast tonight, um, but things are going pretty well over here. You know, I'm in, I'm in education, so uh, it's tough out here, but hey, I'm just keep going, so... Okay, cool. He said education, definitely. Right. <laughs> uh, Joaquin, Joaquin, how are things going with you? Things are going good, bro. Uh, honestly, just um, just working, you know, working from home, making sure everything is good at the house, and man, um, and just you know, trying to stay corona free, man. That's really that's really it, bro. Trying to stay corona free. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Now, yes, normally, yes, now normally we do have another co-host, uh, Brittany. Right. She's not here, but we do have a guest. We do have an honored guest. So there's still going to be four of us on the podcast. And just to give a little bit of background, uh, we are here with Pastor Jerome Gay. Now, uh, we've mentioned this on the podcast, but we hosted a conference called Conscious Christianity. And that was really just to tackle some of the issues that we see on a social level, on a biblical level, and really to address a lot of false teaching that's out there from some of these mystery cults. But um, more specifically, Conscious Christianity was about look at the culture and dissect and show how the Word of God addresses all those issues in the culture. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And one of the keynote speakers that we had for that was Pastor Jerome. And he came in and he taught uh, both years that we had the conference, very impactful. Uh, so he's doing a lot of big things in the city. Not only that, but he's very well read. <laughs> Um, you know, went to school. I'll let him give the rundown of his intro, but he's very well read. He's an author. Uh, you know, I don't want to, you know, pump his head up too much, but he's done a lot for the kingdom that he hasn't even shared with people uh, right from the ripe young age to where he is now. So again, so Pastor Jerome, I'll let you speak to or give whatever other intro you'd like, but what's up and how you doing? Welcome to the podcast. Man, thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Um, now I think I just add I am uh, the husband of Crystal, uh, the father of Jamari and Jordan, and as you said, the pastor of Vision Church. And most importantly, I am a son of Yeshua. And so that's the uh, most important title I have. Is just to that's the title I didn't earn. That that was gifted to me by grace and through faith. And so that's what drives what I do, man. So I'm excited about the convo today. Amen. Looking forward, looking forward to digging in. Amen. No, thank you. And, and we'll get into this in the resources, but Pastor Jerome also has his own podcast. So there's a lot of things he may mention and touch on today that if you listen to his podcast, he expounds upon that more. But we'll mention that when we get to resources. Okay, so 
Today's topic is the value of the black church. And I'll I'll ask this question first. And um I'll ask it to Joaquin because I knew he grew up in that good old uh black church. So Joaquin, um, why would you say today, and this is whatever you'd like, you know, whatever however you'd like to respond, but why would you say today uh there is a white church and a black church? Hmm. So um well this is a for me. I think this is a major question. Um, it's a very loaded question, right? Because number one, you know, slavery. I mean, that's the first place where I go when I think about white church and black churches. I think that hey, black people were stolen from their land. We got over here to you know to this to the United States, and you know because of racism and because of you know and how things were, um, we. Black people were not able to, you know, so you know, be able to worship Christ in the same in the same, you know, with white with white other white people. So eventually, the black church, you know, to make a long story short, black church, the black church was formed, uh, and so hence you have black church and white church. So I, I I do think it's also important to be able to mention that you know when we talk about church, we're talking about hey the church that actually started for black people, you know, for antebellum slavery. So like that's 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 the church that we're talking about. Although just to let people know, there have been people of color throughout the church, like in general, throughout, you know, from like from its inception. You know, we see that in, you know, Acts, you know, Acts when, you know, the, um, at, at Pentecost, we see that there. And there's a lot of different places, you know, else in the scriptures also that actually um that actually comes in and shows us that man, they have that we are represented. Black people are represented in the church for since its inception, and so black church, black church, as far as you know, what we're dealing with right now, currently, as far as you know, hey, like Kojic <laughs> uh, type stuff, and in uh, all the places where we are right now, you know, that thing started with uh, slavery um, and started and up until now, and that's where we are right now. Okay. Aaron, uh, what do you have to add to that question? So why is there a white church and a black church in today's time? Yeah, I think Joaquin, he hit on it. It is a vast question. It's a huge question to answer. Uh, what goes, what what comes to my mind is I think about Reverend Absalom, uh, Absalom Jones, and then Reverend uh, Richard Allen, um, and how that whole situation went, went down of how they were basically kneel to pray and hey you couldn't really worship you can't really worship here you need to go somewhere else but then from there on like they pretty much took them out the church and said hey you can't come back so we got the ame church started um and so from there we have a whole bunch of other you know black denominal uh, denominal churches started so i think about that and seeing how there was a church who was it looks like multi-ethnic even though they didn't really worship together, they were still in the same place. However, now because of different laws, because of different uh, policies that were in place and because some of these individuals believe those policies and believe the uh, maybe degradation of a certain individuals who are African-American, now we have those who believe it kicking these individuals out. And so now we have the black church. And so I, I think about that because um, I think that's important into our history, not just in U.S. history, but also into our Christian history um, as African-Americans, as believers in America. So that's why I kind of go to when I think about that. Nah, dope, man. Thanks for bringing up those historical things that happened as well. 
Uh, Pastor Jerome, same question to you. Uh, why would you say today there's a white church and a black church? Well, ultimately, man, the origin is is sin, and that's the uh, sin of white supremacy. And so when we look, we look. So racism is the sin of partiality, where you are valuing someone in higher regard than others based on the color of their skin. And so there's a scriptural basis for this that we see what James talks about. So we see that sin of partiality. The way that has played out historically is uh, Kelly Brown Douglas in her book, in her book, uh, uh, Stand Your Ground, she talks about uh, the Roman historian Tacitus, and he wrote something called Germania. And in Germania, he attributes superiority to the blood of Romans and Anglo-Saxons. And then you fast forward, you get into what's called Romanitas, where there's always this, this superior view of those of a lighter hue and an inferior view of those of a darker hue. And so when you look at that historically, that begins to play out to where you're seeing the degradation, the dehumanization of image bearers that are black and brown. And so now you go from there, when you're talking about the third and fourth centuries, and you fast forward to uh, the rise of liberation thought, you get to Nat Turner, right? The real life Django uh, from 18, 1800 to 1831, to where he killed over 60 uh, white supremacists. Um, and after that, what happened was is slave owners wanted to be present within the black worship service as a result of his revolt where he felt like he heard from God. And he understood he understood a couple of things in terms of recognizing the Imago Dei, the image of God in black and brown bodies. But obviously the way he handled that, you know, killing 60 folk, um, some of it was self-defense. Some of it was, uh, you know, straight just responding. But then you saw that and then you go to the Baptist after that. They literally, they didn't want to be in the same room with us, didn't want to worship with us, didn't want to go to school with us. So you start seeing the rise of black colleges and things like that where they were funded. They were funded by white denominations because these white denominations did not understand scripture. Um, they did not understand scripture in order to actually value black and brown bodies. And so in addition to education, there was the church. And that goes way back because the, the black church um, has been been honoring Christ in Africa. Look at, we look at the Coptic and Ethiopian churches. But when because of the sin of racism, you saw this historical separation and you see this rise of liberation um, with Nat Turner, then Alexander Crummel, um, where we get Pan-Africanism from. Then you go from him to Marcus Garvey, who, who wrote extensively about the resurrection. From him, you get to Howard Thurman, who wrote Jesus and the Disinherited. And through through these this lens, you see that not that we need to be liberated from God, we need to be liberated from our oppressors in order to mm -hmm. freely worship God. So that's kind of a quick historical snapshot of some of the things that happened as to why we got to this point. No, don't. no, thank you. Now, some some listeners may be watching and listening and thinking, now, why did I ask that question? Why did I pose that question? Uh, the reason I'm throwing that question out there and asking is sometimes in culture, people don't necessarily understand and or know that it wasn't really that long ago that there was slavery and that there was segregation. The reason I'm saying this is because I remember one of the top news stories one time was um, some college students saying, I don't understand why there's black colleges and there's white colleges. It should all just be a college. Like the, the absence of their awareness to know that, well, this college was created because they didn't want to come to the same building as right. you know someone of color. And we see that even happened in the church. 
you know, that even happened in the very place you think that people would be the most kind, the most welcoming, especially as it relates to the scriptures, that we're supposed to be hospitable to one another, uh, even those of the household of faith, like it says in Galatians. But that wasn't happening because of the segregation of the time, people let it creep into the church. So that's why I pose the question, because it's a reality of what happened. But another reality of what happened because of that is you have white church, you have black church. If you fast forward a little bit to today, another reason why we even hosted that conference, Conscious Christianity, is some people didn't necessarily see the value of the black church. Some people are even maybe a little annoyed with the black church. Some people don't understand it and maybe think they're not as educated or as sound or as biblical, right? That was another reason why we had this conference because that is a myth. Right. But one of the main things we went into, at least the first year we did the conference, and I'll put a link so you can reference and see certain things, was we talked about the whitewashing of Christianity. That was one of the main things we talked about and one of the main things we covered. So just to expound upon that, uh, since that time, one of the great things that has happened is uh, Pastor Jerome actually has spent some time authoring a book. I remember seeing a stack of books on Instagram on his desk that was taller than him because he was doing research. And he you know, authored the book, The Whitewashing of Christianity. So Pastor Jerome, just as a follow-up, you know, I just wanted to ask, uh, why did you write that book? Was it you know, a result of the conference, some of the things that you're seeing? Uh, I, I, I saw other conferences where they tackled that subject, but why did you specifically feel led to write that book? Well, yeah, just just right quick, it'll, um, you know, uh, God's providence, there's been, uh, it's been dragged out, but it'll be available for pre-order uh, in December, and then we'll release, uh, it'll be officially out, you know, February 2021, but it'll be available um, soon. But yeah, this is it, the whitewashing of Christianity, that's kind of what it looked like for those that uh, want to see it. So I'm excited, really excited about the work I that like went into that. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, man. Paper, paper's cool. That's a good. That's nah, a good. One. <laughs> I appreciate it. Yeah, we, we. I got some dope graphic designers around us, but uh, but but several things. So number one was lostness. Um, I was seeing to what you were talking about when we did the Conscious Christianity Conference, and you invited me to be a part of that. Is you know black and brown people walking away from the faith because they associate Christianity with slavery, oppression, and and they see it as an Ill- illogical faith. And so I know that scripture says that give a reason for the hope that lies within you. So faith and reason can coexist. The Bible is not a faith that tells you to turn your brain off, but actually to turn your brain on, like awake, O sleeper, like be awakened to your sin so you can clearly see what's going on. But as I saw this rise of what I call unredeemed wokeness, I mean, we're we're obviously advocates for redeemed wokeness uh, with the woke church. But unredeemed wokeness was saying, you know, Christianity is a white man's religion. The only reason you're a Christian is because of slavery. And as I was seeing this lostness and people making an eternal decision based on misinformation, I wanted to write. And I said, I wanted to do something that's going to give uh, historical facts. So my book has over 200 citations. So tons of receipts so that people who are not within our faith, and I wrote it in a way to where I'm not using Christianese throughout the book. I want to use historical examples. I'm referencing Killer Mike's uh, trigger warning. I'm referencing Dr. Umar Johnson. I'm, re- I'm re- referencing Lena Waithu, directed um, Queen and Slim, and what she said about Christianity and slavery. 
So I wanted to reach out. So the lostness that I saw was the first thing. Second thing was just the need for color correction. Um, there's a chapter I have called Hidden Heroes. And I walk through a lot of the uh, black and brown African church fathers, um, black female martyrs that were 1,200 years, get this, 1,200 years before the transatlantic slave trade. So slavery was not our introduction to Christianity, but there's a false narrative because people are relying more on Google than you know digging into books and getting, that's why I wanted to have tons of citations in this book. And then just thirdly, just the silence of many predominantly white seminaries and even churchmen to where functionally, while we historically Christianity is not a white man's religion, but functionally it's been presented as one. And so we not only historical color correction, biblical color correction is needed because the, the imagery is that Moses led a million white folk out of Egypt. Jesus had 12 white disciples. Gee, they, they present Jesus as white. So you paint literally almost everybody as in scripture as these Middle Eastern African people um, as white. And so I can understand why a non-believer, while I disagree with their conclusion, I understand how they got there because the way our faith has been presented, it's like Jesus will save you, but he didn't use anyone who looks like you in his redemptive plan. And so I wanted to I wanted to do something that addresses the the existential concerns and questions of black and brown people, but then also present them like, no, our hope is still in Yeshua. We can trust Christ and his gospel. And we've been in this thing. We've been con contributing to the faith. And so those are some of the things that just led me to want to write the book. No, thank you. Excellent. Uh we have a lot of seminarians here on uh, the podcast, I so I want to I want to talk to Aaron and Joaquin because uh, Pastor Jerome did make a you know brief reference to say even in how Christianity is presented even in our seminaries. Um, what are some of the ways you all saw maybe the effects of what whitewashing has done into the Christian faith, even when you were in school? So uh, Aaron, you can kick that off, and then it'll go to Joaquin. Yeah, when I when I was in school. Um, I want, I'm not going to say, I was going to say the school name, but I'm not going to say that. Um, but uh, when I was at that school, I just really saw that individuals were talking about different theologians. They were talking about different doctrines over time and how different things um, had come over time and how these things were coming. But they never really talked about who these individuals were. So even when you talk about the early church fathers, like, they're not really talking about who they are. Or when, when you see pictures um, and images of these individuals, sometimes they don't look as where they were located from or where they're originally from. And so that kind of threw me off a little bit. I can say I was in a class, thankfully, that he made an effort to actually do that. So I, I am grateful to have a class that actually tried to make an effort, especially in the images, because he would he would definitely um, correct some individuals, even in the class or even, you know, things that have happened over time to say, hey, these images were wrong. So I have been in class with that. And that's I'm definitely grateful because I know everybody doesn't have that type of experience. But I have seen that over time, especially when I was in seminary. Yeah. No, no, to, to kind of piggyback off what Aaron was saying also, like some of the things that I've seen in seminary specifically are 
the and I know we're going to get to this later, but the lack of black authors. Uh, that's 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 one that's one of the biggest things, and also in, when you're reading, and, and I know we're going to get to that later, but I'm gonna, I'm going to come back to that. But when you're reading books, you see kind of like this white glorification of certain people. Like when you think about people like George Whitfield, you know, and and people like that, they're always you know, praised for, you know, the, the, the mighty, so-called mighty works that they've done, you know, for, for Christ. Now, I'm not, I'm not, you know, saying that they haven't done any good work for Christ. And, you know, I think they have, but, 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 but there's never a, there's never a discussion about, you know, this, you know, like the sin that they talk about and how they're actually complicit with different types of racism that was going on during that particular time. Um, also, you know, even like when they, um, Aaron mentioned the pictures. Like when you look at books, I have a book right now, um, "The Cross, the Cradle, the Crown." It has it has a white Jesus on the actual book on the book. And also, when you look at movies like Passion, you know you see you see a white Jesus who's being crucified. And I think sometimes it forces it forces the the thought process of like, oh, okay, this is actually what Jesus looks like. And so, and it makes you kind of feel like, you know. Dang, like, well, if Jesus comes from this particular area, like you know, Pastor Jerome was saying earlier, then how can a how can this person, you know, have this blue-eyed, you know, curly type? You know, I think I think I heard Pastor Jerome say it before, Pantene Pro V Jesus. You know what I'm saying? Like, like, and 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 the sad part about it is, is that's the image that you know that you see growing up. That's the image that you see on different churches. So when you think about Jesus, you think about that particular image and you think now Jesus is actually white. And so like and it's just that and it's a perpetual thing on everything. Even when we talk about the church fathers, when we talk about all the other heroes of the faith that come in, you you just have this idea or whatever that Jesus and all, and all these other people that came before the faith, that, every, that everybody's white. Abraham and all the movies that you see, like the past movies that you see, they look white. You know, there's no type of real historical depiction of what people actually look like during that particular time. And so I think when we talk about, you know, ways, you know, Christianity was whitewashed, you know, those are some like those are some those are some of the ways. Now, I do have a question <laughs> um, and, and I want and I want to ask that to Jerome Gay on top of this on top of this current question that we're answering. And the question is, is how do we depict or determine it, like is cultural representation okay? That's that's my question, because like you know when I come into like when I come into the house like you know at my grandmother's house we got a black Jesus with dreads, you know what I'm saying? And uh, you know my, my mom, you know, and then there there may be another black Jesus. It's the Pantene Pro V black Jesus. You know, it's the Pantene Pro V black Jesus. You know, he got the you know curly wool so called black hair and he's praying. You know what I'm saying on the rock like this, but he's not white, but he no, but but he looks black. And then in other in other cultures like in Ethiopia as well as you know in uh, China and places like that, you know you may see a Jesus who's on the cross whose eyes may depict you know somebody who is actually in China. You know because people actually relate in a way to a person that they that looks like them. So is so you know so I, I'm curious to know what you would have to say about that, Pastor Jerome. Yeah, I think I think when it when it comes to Jesus himself, we have to be careful with imagery. Um, uh, I would say the white or or the black can be dangerous either way. And from this standpoint, we end up 
we, we just got to make sure we're not making him fit our image. Um, again, I think the, the white Jesus is clearly historically inaccurate. He definitely would most likely would have been brown, being a, a, a brown skinned Middle, Middle Eastern man. But but be, beyond that, we just have to be careful of that in terms of imagery, because the, the best we get, even when you go to the Isaiah passage, that's not describing his skin. That's analogous to his judgment. You know what I mean? So when they go to the whole, you know, skin like bronze, um, that's that's not that's not referring to skin color. That's imagery of those things. And Isaiah also talks about he wouldn't have been much to look at. He was Jesus was a regular when he's profi- prophesying about the Messiah, regular dude. So uh, I'm just saying we got to be careful with that. But to, to the other thing, when you talked about history, man, right quick, like this is why my wife and I created, you know, the I am apparel. So this is I got Augustine of Hippo on and we got others where were, were Cyprian and um, on sweatshirts. And I wanted to show the ladies uh, Perpetua and Felicity. We'll talk about them in a little bit. These two African female martyrs, because I do think it's important. Um, so we started that and then 10 percent goes to uh, black missionaries. because We have a goal of 100 black or brown missionaries um, overseas because it's, it's a low number. And that actually plays into whitewashing because the missionaries presented a white Jesus to these African people when they would go to these different nations. Mm-hmm. And so from that standpoint, I do think it is important um, historically that if we care about truth, that, that we don't let them make northern Africa look like southern Europe. And through the imagery, through the imagery, that's what's happening. So you white, you make you make Athanasius, who I got on. Make him white. You make perpetual felicity white. You make all these African fathers white. And so I did. We that's the other thing. In addition to the book, the clothing line is like we we want to be intentional about this necessary color correction, because with that there's an assumption for those that don't share our faith. Like yeah, every, you guys are saying that there's there's this multi ethnic faith, but that's not presented in your imagery. It's not presented in the the children's curriculum. Uh, so we got a children's book we're working on as well. That's going to address these African church fathers. So, yes, cultural cultural representation is important. We got to be careful with scripture because there is a such thing as idolatry. And so we can never put culture above what scripture says. So that's why I think we just got to. But when we talk about history, we definitely need to get out more black and brown images of these African church fathers. And my wife and I came together and say one of the ways we can do that is through fashion and it can spark a conversation of who these people were and and their significance in history. Now, Pastor Jerome, thanks for speaking to that. Now, for, for again, for those who are listening, watching, if you're saying to yourself, man, how, you know, we are whitewashing, we're talking about history, you know, we got black and brown people on, on shirts, like where you, what y'all talking about? The reason why it's important and I and we pose these questions and we're going down this path is because there is a historical narrative being painted that one group of people has more value than the other group of people. Mm-hmm. And the only thing that everybody has highlighted in all their responses, whether they're talking about school and seminary, whether they're talking about you know pictures and representation or anything else, they're just highlighting mm-hmm. the fact that the mm-hmm. more you try to elevate uh, one color over the other, the more it plays into the culture that this has value, the other ones do not. And that leads to people saying certain things like 
uh, Christianity is the white man's religion. That leads to people saying, oh man, y'all Christian, man, y'all believe in that white stuff? Y'all believe in that slave religion? It's all tied together. So the reason we're talking about this, at least, and we had to go in the past and talk about what happened, is because it is currently affecting the current value of the black church. Just to be honest, you know, let's be real. Um, we had a very good conversation about racism on this podcast in the past. Now, uh, and we had a, we had a guest. One of the guests that we had was another young adult named Marshall. Now, Marshall said, "Man, I came in the church, and I knew the teaching was on point because I knew the the pastor was my former professor, you know, Pastor Blake Wilson. So I knew that was straight. But I was like, whoa." I'm the only person here hmm, that, that looks like me. Mm -hmm. Now, that wasn't true. There was a couple others on the other side of the building, but he didn't see him. But he was like, I'm the only me that's here. And he started talking about, I never really felt like that. And he said, wow, this must be how it feels when a person of color comes into a white church. Mm -hmm. Or was, Starbucks. Was, or, or, you know. Correct. Anywhere. Right. anywhere. So it was flipped. But the thing that he was, and the reason I, you know, kind of bring up that story just as a reminder is this. How many people would even dare to venture into a black church that are of a lighter hue? The reason I'm asking that question like that is because there's already this narrative that, dare I say, a white church can teach better than a black church. And some of that is contributed to by the everything that we just talked about. This historical idea that, you know, white supremacy even kind of weeded its way into the visual representation of the faith. Mm -hmm. Right. So again, that's why just, just to bring everything together, that's why we spent so long on that, because it's very important to recognize what that is subconsciously doing to everybody. What that is subconsciously doing to everybody. But that being said, uh, specifically on the value of the black church, uh, I definitely want to pose a question. So for you all individually, however you want to see fit, did you all ever have any of those thoughts? Did you all have any of those thoughts that um, if you go to a so-called white church, you're going to get one thing, but the black church is going to give you another thing? So, and you can take a moment to think about it. Are there any times where you said to yourself, if I go to a white church, I'm going to get A, B, and C. If I go to a black church, I'm going to get D, E, F. And uh, Aaron, I'll pose it to you at first to kick it off. But it, did you have any thoughts about you go to different churches to get different things? Yeah, um, I kind of went, I mean, I moved around a lot as a kid. So I went to a lot of different type of churches. Um, I never really had the ideology of if I go to a white church, I'm going to get better teaching. Like I just never, because I, I think I had solid African-American preachers who um, poured into my life. But it was, I think, around college. And I think it was when uh, Reformed theology was big and that whole thing kind of went down. And so even like you see Lecrae and everyone else and some Christian hip hop artists who were really big into some of these uh, white evangelical preachers. And so that's, I had a, I think that's during my college years, I had a thought that Am I missing something? Is it something that I'm not getting that they are getting? Is it something that I'm not reading that they are reading? 
And so that's kind of really my only time that I really had that thought process of maybe a white church, maybe get or, you know, majority white church, maybe getting something that I don't have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would say, too, for me growing up, I was a part of the Baptist church growing up and my pastor did not go to school. He wasn't so-called theologically trained. Not that that matters, but but he wasn't. You know, but so when you hear when I did hear a white person who was more theologically trained at that particular time, the thought process for me was more so of like, man, he explained that very well. Like that was my first introduction into expository preaching when I heard a white pastor. Now, I think and and, and to be fair, I think my pastor growing up, my old Baptist pastor, I think he exposited well. But there were some things that were just drawn out a bit more when I when I heard when I heard when I heard the white pastor, and and then going to a going to an actual white church versus going to the black church, which I was used to going to a black church. There were just some things that were just missing for me. You know, there were things like you know, people didn't stand up when the when the word of God was read. You know, like uh, it was more so of. Um, if somebody, if, if the pastor says something good, it was more just of, you know, just a clap. You know what I'm saying? It wasn't no, amen. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's what's up. Like, ah, oh, you better preach. It, it, like, it, was, it, was, it was nothing like that. But at the same time, there was a sense of me not feeling, of me, there was, there was a sense of me not feeling like I belonged. And I, and there was, there was people there. They said hi and all these different things. But at the same time, I still felt that I I, I didn't I, I didn't belong, nor did they want me there. I, I, I don't know I don't know if that makes sense, but um, but that's how I felt when I went to when I went to a white church versus the black church, um, and so that's 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 all I have for that. But I just want to throw that out there. No, thank you, Pastor Jerome. Same type of question again is in your experience and even growing up. You know, did you notice any differences between white church and black church? And did one have an advantage over the other or did one have certain things the other didn't have? You know, what were your just overall experience with that? Yeah, I think the biggest difference I saw coming up was the application. And so I, mean, I went from D.C. to Kansas because of my dad being in the military. So I went from, a, you know, a, a predominantly black context to a predominantly white context. And so what I saw uh, with the black church is in addition to walking through the text, there was service to the community. There was, there was, there was true kononia amongst each other. Um, And again, this is, so I'm not painting all white churches this way, but again, we're talking about personal, my experience with the other churches, it was just, uh, it was all about head knowledge. It was just more as if right doctrine uh, led to right practice, and that's not always the case. And so uh, you saw that. Um, but to my seminary experience, I, I did see, uh, and I actually addressed this in the book, um, is I saw ecclesiological coonery from from a lot of black men, and and what I mean by that is. Not, not to use the term, you know, to bash people. I make it an acrostic contributing to ongoing oppression through negligence and to where they didn't know, didn't know the history. 
And so they get into a white context and then begin to look down on everything they experienced prior to coming to that seminary. And um, so I saw I saw that to where there was a disdain for the black church. Now, these same uh, white students would say, I grew up in a trailer. The doctrine was bad, but I met like there was they would still try to communicate some type of appreciation, whereas some of the black guys would just go all the way in. And so uh, I do think sometimes the seminaries actually nurture self-hatred because of the lack of diverse imagery, uh, diverse reading um, of authors, and then their ignorance about the black church then leads to caricatures about it to where, you know, I was asked if I sing my sermons you know, because I was at a predominantly white and I'm like, I don't hoop. I can appreciate it historically, but that's just not how I communicate, you know? And so, uh, you know, so there was a lot of assumptions in some predominantly white seminaries where they make judgments without even having any experience or engagement. And so uh, that the, the pride and, and arrogant attitude in some of those, uh, some of that, those settings can lead to self-hatred to where you have uh, black and brown folk looking down on their own people. Not to say that any church is above correction. I mean, yeah, there are black dudes that ain't preaching good doctrine and need to sit down. But I'm just saying sometimes there's an assumption that if it's black, it's not, it's going to lack theological clarity. And I'm saying my experience, the opposite was true. I saw the black church have an orthodoxy and orthopraxy where uh, the, again, the whites, and again, I'm not saying, obviously not all do this, but my experience was, it was just about head knowledge, but there was, there wasn't an application of it. No, very good. And you all are sharing your own experiences, right? So you're not trying to specifically call out one way or the other. It's just different experiences. In yeah. uh, a little bit of uh, your response, Pastor Jerome and even Aaron, here's the interesting thing I'll make reference of really quick, uh, and I'll use hypothetical things. This is based on a true story. So let's say there's a seminary called The Amazing Seminary, okay? This is contributing to our conversation, what I'm about to say. Once again, Imagine there's a seminary called the Amazing Seminary, and this seminary is the best seminary in bringing up teachers, uh, you know, leaders, pastors in expository teaching and delivering the word of God. They give them all the best commentaries, all the best resources, so on and so forth. The Amazing Seminary. Again, if you went back in time and looked at the Amazing Seminary's history, let's just say 1940. Someone of color can't go there. I said 1940, because this is not even that long. It's less than 100 years ago. Somebody of color can't go there. So let's say the amazing seminary is the best place to go, and they have a 90% rate in producing biblically sound teachers. Y'all, someone of color can't go there. So this narrative that is somewhat out there and that Pastor Jerome even covered and talking about sometimes, you know, the false imagery creates self-hate. This idea that um, the white church is more on point or has more than the black church. Again, as we mentioned earlier in the show, segregation and racism even contributed to maybe someone not learning as much as they could have about the scriptures. Not because they didn't want to, because they just didn't let them in. And again, we're talking about believers. 
And the reason, and this is the amazing seminary based on a true story. But again, the reason I make reference of even that much is because I think that contributes even more to the value of the black church in that people could not even go to certain places yet and still study the word of God and was still able to serve people on a weekly, daily basis in the church body. And like you said, the AME church earlier, um, church that existed even back then, even without all the opportunities, God still did a great work through them. And these churches still exist even to this day. So again, I just referenced that to show like God is using these churches, uh, whether they be black or other any other color, using these churches, even though they didn't have access to the very same resources that others had, right? But again, uh, that being said, uh, currently, and I, I want to I want to ask this question in this way, on purpose. I want to kind of hear you all's uh, answer to it. I know uh, I've heard this from other people. And it's kind of sad. I remember hearing it on social media. Somebody said, hey, I'm looking for a good church. They said, I'm looking for a good black church, right? Now, that's interesting. If you're listening, ask yourself, if somebody asked you, name a good black church, like, would you, would you even know of churches to name? Not because they're not good, but because you don't know any black churches. But that's another, that's another story. But they asked the question, does anybody know of any good black churches? And people listed a couple in response to their Facebook status. But then they followed up and said, I want a church that teaches more. I don't want a lot of the hoopla. That's what they said in response to the status. So in the form of a question, I'll pose it like this. And Aaron, uh, you can kick it off. So I'll say Aaron, Pastor Jerome, then Joaquin. But I'll phrase it like this for a moment, and I'll come back. So they didn't want a lot of hoopla. So where do you think a lot of the hoopla or theatrics of the so you know so-called theatrics in the black church like where did that come from? So Aaron, you can understand the question however you want to understand it. That's fine. But what do you think? What is some of the hoopla or theatrics in the black church like? Where does that come from? So when I even think about theatrics or hoopla, I would say you know people um, you know praising you know they shouting people, you know, hooping, or I think as Pastor Jerome would say, you know, at the end of the sermons or even during the sermon, hey, the, or as the preacher's talking, it's like, you know, hooping through it. Um, now, to, to, oh, you're going to say something, Nate? No, nah, no. So, so just to, well, I'll ask you, you know, you, you know you're well taught. Um, could you give an example of what hooping is? <laughs> yes, no. <Lord. laughs> He, he went down. <laughs> and so, yeah, so if you get the reference, you get the reference. So, but I mean, I would have to like literally probably probably research and research even more where it came from. Um, I think about storytelling. I, I even think about even in slave times, how individuals, they may not have been able to have the, uh, have the ability to read the Bible, but they had it memorized. So because they had it memorized, hey, and because we story told and because we did things like this, this is how I was able to communicate it to um, these group of people um, who are African-American. So, um, so I'm not, but to be honest, I, I probably need to do a little bit more research about that because when it comes to the history about that, um, I'm just probably not the best at it. No, you gave a good example. Uh, Joaquin, what do you think? 
Um, I think, you know, a lot of those things come out of the struggle of where Black people have come from. Um, I think that our expressions um, and how we interact with one another um, and and the things that we have been through in the past, I think, and the things that God has brought us through, I think those those are the reasons of why we well, why we get a different response in a sense um, in the black church versus maybe versus maybe the white church. Now, I'm not saying the white church can't respond in in their in their own way, but you know, as for black as for black people um, and, and the amount of things that we've been through through Jim Crow, through slavery, through civil rights, you know, voter suppression, you know, uh, disparate wages, drugs, flooding the streets, all these different things that have went down in, 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 in just the African-American black culture. And I think our response is, a, is going to be a little bit different than our white counterparts. And so that's why I think, you know, a lot of the, um, a lot of the, uh, the, um, I would say, I'm just going to say the response. I think a lot of our response is based on how, how we've came through that particular struggle. So if you hear somebody hooping and hollering saying the Lord is good and, um, you know, and, and, and people get happy about that because we start to relate our struggle to what the pastor is actually saying. How did God actually bring me out of this situation? How did God actually say, how did God actually, um, you know, although my son, although crack cocaine flooded the streets, but my son was on crack, but now he's not on crack. I get to see an amazing power of God move in my son's life or whatnot. And that and that draws a different that draws a different type of response. You know, so um so I think man, what African Americans or just, you know, people like people of color, black people have went through, you know, throughout the times, man, our response is just gonna be completely different. So I think that's why we get the so-called theatrics, you know what I'm saying, from, um, you know, from, from the deal. Like, you know, somebody might be, hoop, somebody might say it's hooping and hollering, but I may say, man, somebody's, somebody's praising and somebody's shouting because God has just brought their son back from, from, uh, from drug use. You know, somebody may say, man, why, why do they have to sing like that? Why, 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 does, why does gospel music sound the way that it sounds? And man, and somebody may say that, and I may say, well, because like, you know, Man, this whole, you know, these people, these people have just went through a whole deal of Jim Crow, being able to ride in Jim Crow South without being able to get lynched and all those different things. And they can just see the amazing power of God just working in their favor. So, man, I think, you know, the struggle demands, demands the response. Yeah, Pastor Jerome, what would you uh, say to that question? Yeah, so there's a there's a good and good and bad. Um, and what I mean by that is with with any person or any culture, uh, sometimes you can read stuff into it. So the good part is when you read the scripture, you're not going to find a monotone response to salvation by grace through faith. You're not going to find that in the Old Testament. You're not going to find it in the New Testament. So when we were able to read. So first, you know, our songs were codes. Black slave codes, um, the, the songs were codes for freedom, and it was often threaded through gospel music from one that was able to read something from the Psalms or from Exodus. And so as a result of that, you know, we, we historically, there was a celebratory nature to how we read the text, because when we were able to read it, we saw our story in Exodus, and we knew that God was on the side of the oppressor. I'm sorry, the oppressed 
Um, but he still extended grace to the oppressor when they repented, when they repented of their <laughs> oppression. And so uh, we, we saw that. But over over time, it became where it became eisegesis in some context to where we begin to now associate a certain response with the Holy Spirit. And so now that eisegesis has led to the theatrics to where if you ain't closing with the Hammond B3, then you didn't preach. Well, well, that's not that's not right. That's not biblically right. Like like if if you got the Hammond B3, but you ain't getting us to the gospel, you ain't closed. Like at the at the end, the, the point of all scripture is the gospel. So that's the meta narrative. And so those are the two sides of it to where we had, hey, there there was a there was a proper exegesis of where we see celebration. When they got on the other side of that Red Sea, they pulled out a daggone tambourine and had what we call a praise break. This is in the old, t- this is in the Bible. We see David dancing. We see, we see music. We see them praising in order for the walls of Jericho to come down. So there's constant this aspect. And so the, the isogy, the other side of it is praise was also rebellion against white imperialism is because they, they, Back then, they tried to dictate how we worship um, and always elevated their cultural expressions as if it was on par with scripture, which it it was not. And it isn't now because people are still trying to do that, trying to tell us, saying that we're more blacks are more styled than substance when that's just not historically, not even historically true. The prosperity gospel started in white context, not black. It was called new thought theology. Um, so that's so. So even they get their history wrong in their quest to constantly demean anything as black as lesser than even our expressions and so uh, so that's the good and bad side where there was a we see all saw it in scripture but over time people begin to eisegete the text and read all this extra stuff and then equate the responses with the move of the spirit which which just isn't biblically accurate no awesome like you said uh many times in scripture when God does an amazing work, people are blown away. They're excited. They may get up. They may yell. Mm-hmm. Uh, they may go tell everybody that they know. You know, uh, <laughs> they may go tell everybody that they know. Uh, they may even dance, like you said. That's that's common because I, I believe you should be blown away by what God does. It shouldn't just be like um, Paul at Mars Hill. Hey, you know, I want to tell you about this amazing God interesting like you should be blown away when you're like some of the things when you hear some of the things god has done but also some of the things that god has done for other people as well mm-hmm. as you as well you should be blown away by that now i'll be honest uh, i phrased this question in a certain way on purpose i said where did all the uh hoopla or theatrics come from in the black church i, I phrased it that way on purpose i would i would argue theatrics are more in line with something that uh, Aaron said. Uh, Somebody may call it theatrics, but to be honest, I believe there's just certain elements of a service that people do certain things and emphasize certain actions to help you remember. So a lot of times you may hear, uh, he stayed in the grave all day Friday. And then, you know, they, they, they getting up to early Sunday morning, right? They revving up to it. But let's be honest, at the end of the day, even though it was presented like that, do you remember that? 
if you remember that he stayed all day Friday, all day Saturday, but early, if you remember that, that's the death, burial, resurrection. Is that not the gospel? You remember that. So a lot of things happen during service. This is in the third, but you remember that because an emphasis was placed on it and you may call it theatrics, but I would, I would argue to say that was probably done to enhance or emphasize something you need to remember. And let's be real. Um, other churches have elements of theatrics as well. You may, I mean, the popular thing now is you have a stage and on the stage, you have to have a TV the size of a billboard and you have to have amazing graphics. And you, I should know about that since I, I make graphics. You have to have amazing graphics. You have to have something that catches people's attention. You have to record a video short that you show before the sermon, or, or like people supposedly people are not going to get it. You got to have pictures. You got to have slides. You have to have a laser light show with fog during worship, or like people just ain't going to feel it. I would argue to say, are those called theatrics, or? Are you doing certain things to try to enhance the service so that people can remember the experience? I'm just hey, throwing that question out there. Hey, Nathan, I want to add to that, man, because, you know, one of the, that was one of my challenges to many of my white counterparts is you're, you're saying the the hooping at the end is theatrics. But I would say your your keyboard and acoustic guitar is the same thing because you planned it. Like I've, I've been a part where they've, They've written out. They've they've written out how the Holy Spirit is going to respond. So, so when you're literally dictating in planning center um, how the Holy Ghost is supposed to move, and you're and you're making fun of the black church, I just think it's it's interesting. And we gotta we gotta lovingly confront um, our white brothers and sisters when they ignore the things that they do, and then they use pejoratives to talk about the black church. And call it the. I'm like, no, that, no, that's theatrics. You, you, since when do you dictate how the spirit moves in the service? If it's so, if it's not in planning center, then it can't be done. So, so what is that, right? So you're, you're, you're this is literally a show. You, you, this is literally a Sunday show that you guys have scripted. And in some cases, I would go as far as to say it's straight up manipulation. So they just, the people just need to be careful trying to broad stroke the black church when they're guilty of even worse. Um, in terms of how they have everything scripted, which which is textbook theatrics, is literally theater. Um, it might not be as loud, but it's no less theatrical. You said Planning Center. I laughed because I was like, I use Planning Center. No, nah, we do too. No, no. Yeah, we, yeah. We, 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 we don't tell the Holy Spirit what to do No, but when you said that, honestly, what yeah. came to mind is uh, Proverbs sixteen. You know. Um, Hey, we, we are supposed to plan things out, but the answer or the final answer is from the tongue of the Lord. So plan things out. But if God moves, let him move. Don't be mm -hmm. so beholden. And I've been in services where this has happened. Don't be so beholden to your schedule. God moves and you don't have time for it because we have another service or we don't have time for it because we got to get everybody out of here. Um, yeah, that's one thing that I would say. <laughs> that is one thing that I will say. I think, again, we all can learn from one another because I have been in services, particularly at a black church where the spirit moves and it's awesome and amazing. But I've also been in services where the spirit moves awesome and amazing. And you can tell they tried to make it happen. Like you said, Pastor Jerome, there is a there's just two sides to this. And like I said, planning is great. 
But when you plan everything so well, God can't move. That's problematic as well. You yeah, know, the, so. theatrics, theatrics don't have a color. The, the problem is whenever something is depraved, it's, it's placed on black at the foot of black and brown people. But when if it's great, then if it's great and it's innovative, then it's given to white folk. And again, that's not, you know, I want to be intentional about not broad stroking because I'm writing a book about broad stroking, um, you know, but that's part of the problem is you say the black church and it's like, well, you haven't been to all of them. So just be, you know, change your terminology because I'm not going to say the white church. Um, I've had experiences with xenophobic, racist white pastors in seminary um, who said horrendous things in seminary or preparing to plant a church. But I've had other brothers who uh, who are white, who are really trying to repent and grow and faithfully serve. So we just got to be careful that when you talk about theatrics, don't just put that at the doorstep of the black church. That that happens every Sunday in every single racial group you can think of because people want to control the spirit and manipulate the spirit and they want to do their own thing. So we just got to be careful of trying to lay everything that's wrong at the foot of the black church. I'm not going to let that happen. No, amen. I agree. So we've mentioned quite a few things and I'm just curious to know from everybody. Um, And there's a lot of these, but and we'll still get to resources even after this. I just want to ask this question. So for people to just understand the contributions as well as the value of the mm-hmm. black church. I did that in air quotes of the black church. Like, what do you think there's some common resources or places or what can people do to find out what some of those common contributions are, or what are some things people can do to find out and uncover uh, the value of what the black church has to offer. And I'll say uh, Joaquin, if anything. And before I kick it to you, Joaquin, I'll even say him on my end. Um, when when you know George Floyd passed away, and a lot of things were going on. Well, excuse me, let me rephrase that. Uh, when George Floyd was murdered, um, in in the fashion that he was, uh, you know, very unfortunate, very frustrating. But a lot of things were going on. Uh, I had a conversation with someone because a lot of people. Have, we're lending a listening ear. And I made a comment and said, if you really want to fight against this, you are going to, I was talking to a group of uh, online creators. I said, if you were really going to have to fight against this, you as an online creator are going to have to be intentional about using your platform and inviting more people of color on your platform. The reason why is because people need to know that people of color have something to offer besides whatever stereotype that you pigeonhole them into. People need to see that they have value to offer, that they're they're just as good and they're just as helpful as everybody else out there. In the same way that I said to that group of online creators, I would say uh, on the podcast, you know, you can't really value stuff. You know, you're not really understanding the value of something if you don't either know its history or fully participate in it. So I'll, I'll be honest, if you're somebody who is looking for, uh, you know, what we need to do for racial reconciliation and the list goes on, I mean, honestly, I would challenge you. I would say, 
since you don't do it, you probably need to visit some <laughs> black churches because you don't do it. You don't do it on your own. You just don't go. And you probably never will. And you might feel uncomfortable, like Marshall mentioned. Hey, I'm the only in here right now. But Marshall's a brother that I love, and we love him too. And the word of God is preached, and it and it was perfectly fine, right? So we got to get rid of so many things in our minds. So I would challenge listeners, if you are wondering the value of what the Black Church has to offer, I would challenge you to go. Go to different ones, because as Pastor Jerome already said, not all of them are the same. And not all of them adhere to the same stereotypes that you have in your mind. But Joaquin, I'll kick it to you. I would say, what are some good, what are some things people can do or some good uh, contributions or places they can go to find out uh, what the value of the Black Church has contributed just to the faith at large? Um, I would, number one, I would probably say, talk to people who go to Black churches. <laughs> I mean, um, at the end of the day, a lot of times I think people say things about stuff that they don't understand. And so, man, um, I think, um, like, I'll give this example. Um, I, have a, I have a friend that lives in Macon, Georgia. I'm from Macon. And she, and we were talking about, uh, I made a comment on, you know, one of those, I think we talked about this before, but I made a comment on one of those, um, that, that Sovereign's Nations, uh, deal that they talked a lot about intersectionality and all this stuff or whatever. And man, I made a comment on it of how basically how disgusted I was at this, you know, at that particular conference. And this girl, she hits me up, you know, white girl, she hits me up. She says, uh, Joaquin, I really want to sit down and talk to you, um, you know, about some of the things you said. So one day we talked, she said that she mentioned that she was going to do the Dave Ramsey deal at her church, but it was full. So, so in order to do it at the same time, she went to the church on the south side. And in the, the south side, that's where, uh, you know, Beulah Land Bible Baptist was at. And that's Beulah Land Bible Baptist is in the hood. And so that's where, you know, the predominantly black people are going to, like, that's where they were. That's the churches. That, that's like one of the biggest churches for the um, African-American community in Macon, Georgia. And so she went there and she walked in and everybody was taking Dave Ramsey, but she said she was the only white person there. And she said that was the only time that I felt like I was the only. But she said a lot, but everybody that was there showed her the love and appreciation that, you know, um, and, and just just thank just thank God for her being there and all the different things. Um, and, and among a whole bunch of other stuff that she said, you know, um, um, she just was really grateful that she was able to attend that black church and be able to get to know new, know more people or whatever. And um, and really, honestly, she didn't say this, but I think this is what she was getting at. I've also we were talking about is that a lot of things when she went to this church shaped her understanding of what the black church was. And so a lot of people, you know, as Pastor Gay was saying, has the have these stereotypes of what they in these things that they think the black church is. But really, you know, we are people also who who love Jesus, who were saved by grace through faith alone. And like, you know, and she and she was able to be able to recognize that. So I would I would um I would say that people need to start having these conversations because a lot of times, oh, and another thing too. White people who are, you know, in these Christian spaces needs to stop being complicit with a lot of the things that are going on. So, like, if a white person is complicit or not, excuse me, if a white person is saying things about the black church, 
it is their job as a white person to be able to speak up in those areas if they are a believer, to be able to speak up in those areas and be able to talk about, you know, to be able to check people as she was checked in that black church, to be able to say, hey, not all black churches are like this, um, or, or, or be able to respect the idea of why the black church is, you know, is the way that it is the way that it is. And so um, I think that there are going to be some, I think conversation need to be had, not only in the white community, but amongst white and black uh, believers um, who, um, who are, who are, who are, who are in that, who are in those areas. Yeah. No, just, awesome, man. Yeah. No, just, go ahead, Aaron. No, I was going to say this, Nate. Um, I think Joaquin was right. Um, I think community is needed and necessary um, towards everything that we're trying to do, especially to white brothers and sisters who don't, who don't really know what what the value of the black church is or even what the black church has done for uh, believers. So I, I, I definitely believe community. I also believe that um, definitely looking at some black Christian authors um, and being able to read to see how they have contributed to uh, different doctrines, to to our even our belief right now. So um, I think being able to read. Um, but I know one thing I'll say this. I know sometimes it is hard for individuals to and I, I'm, and I may be giving them a pass, but it is hard for individuals who are not in that space. To, to think, to actually think about, okay, who do I read? What do I read about? So, I mean, for me, I would say, yeah, you can definitely look on Google, but hey, I mean, even on this podcast right now, we have Pastor Jerome Gay, who I listen to on Faithfully. Um, and so even him, um, everyone knows, and if you don't know, Dr. Tony Evans, like we, when you talk about someone who has contributed who just wrote a commentary, who's the first, I mean, African-American who to do that, like those different individuals, like Eric Mason, even a Brian Loritz, even a Pastor Blake Wilson, like people like this who have contributed time and time again. So I definitely believe reading, um, being able to look at articles. Um, I would even say podcasts because there are podcasts out here now who are giving a lot of this information and who are talking about the value of the black church. So listening to these um, podcasts in different um, spaces. What's up, Joaquin? Your friends. Um, I would even say for them, you know, because a lot of times when people think about, you know, black liberation theology, they think about, you know, they always, they're always in a position to critique, you know. I will also say, man, I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not a proponent for black liberation theology. However, I understand, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, I, I understand, like, if you think, like, when you, like, when you look at James Cone and some of the things that he was stand, like, that he stands for, like, I understand, like, 1,000%. 1, and I think, you know, for my white counterparts who are in seminary, I would want to say, like, instead of critiquing black liberation theology, be in a, be, have a posture of understanding when you read about it. You know, not not like I said, not a proponent for it. You know, I don't I don't I don't I don't agree with it. But all I'm saying is, is that, you know, being able to be in a position not to critique versus being able to understand based from the struggle that that um, the African-Americans have been through. Now, just to follow up on uh, Aaron's point really quick and then, I, you know, Pastor Jerome, we can hear from you. But I'll say it like this. A professor told me this, my Spanish professor. Um, I was so concerned with getting the words right 
you know, and um, he said, Nathan, um, it's fine. Guess with confidence. But if you get it wrong, that's okay. The reason why it's okay is because you tend to remember the things that you get wrong or the things that challenge you more than the things you already know. So uh, another way to phrase that would be, if you really want to use your brain and make your brain work, you have to challenge that. One of the ways you can challenge is doing something that goes against your normal habits. And like Aaron kind of pointed out, if you don't read any black authors or listen to any podcast by um, uh, you know, a pastor of color or, or anybody else, you need to introduce that because you need to fight against what is currently in your mind that might be false and fill it up with, no, man, here's the thing that proves whatever my subconscious is thinking wrong, right? So yeah, go ahead and use that to use your brain properly and like challenge your brain. Uh, but that being said, you know, Pastor Jerome, same question to you about, um, you know, what are some things people can do or yeah. um, maybe some places to go to find out common contributions from the Black Church? Yeah, I'll I'll, I'll go way back. And again, just um, and this stuff to what, what, what King was talking about. Um, I In my book, I'll have I have uh, responses to whitewashing. And so mm-hmm. I'm a one is liberation. And I give a historical take on that from Nat Turner to James Cone. Uh, the second is self-hatred. And I address Muhammad Al-Fasi, one of the first black authors to write disparagingly about black people. Um, so I deal with self-hatred. It's called self-hatred, the making of a coon. And then the third is urban apologetics. Um, and so urban apologetics is the proper way, the proper response, a gospel-centered response and so, uh, so I will address that in the book again next month, December. Um, it should be available for pre-order. So read up on some of these African church fathers. So Tertullian, Tertullian, one sixty to two twenty. Again, the year one sixty, long before antebellum, long before transatlantic. Tertullian, African man, gave us the concept of the Trinity, uh, origin of Alexandria, one eighty four to two fifty four. Uh, was into apologetics. Now, I don't again, I'm not affirming everything that Origen did or even Tertullian, all right? But I'm just, uh, it's important to understand some of these theologians. Cyprian of Carthage, 200 to 258, another African man who uh, was engaging in a well thought out teacher, Perpetua and Felicity. Um, we don't know that they, they, they died in 203, two African female martyrs who, who died for the faith, one while pregnant. Um, who stood and refused to deny Christ. Lactantius, 240 to 320, uh, another teacher and prolific writer. Athanasius, 296 to 373, fought at the Council of Nicaea for orthodoxy, mm-hmm. fought against Arius. So you have an African man fighting for orthodoxy about the essence of Jesus, so that we know that Jesus is not a created being. Shenouda of a treat, um, we're able to credit him with the, some of the forming of monasteries and the idea of being a monk, this the concept of that. These have origins in Africa. Augustine of Hippo, African man, right? So he's one of the most, most prolific writers and authors and understood different languages. And so read up on those guys. So in terms of resources, I would get the Evangelical Dictionary. Uh, it's Ill, Ill Wills, E-L-W-E-L-L, uh, Evangelical Dictionary. 
another one is called a pocketbook on church history. I would get Tony Evans oneness embrace. Uh, Dr. Tony Evans oneness embrace. How Africa shaped the Christian mind uh, by Thomas Oden. The African memory of Mark. Uh, there you go. Uh, see Joaquin got it by Thomas Oden. Um, uh, the color of compromise by Jamar Tisby uh, would be another good one. Free at last by Dr. Carl Ellis. Uh, that's another one. Um, and then obviously uh, soon the whitewashing of Christianity. Yeah, Joaquin mm-hmm. got Joaquin got the list. And so uh, you know, uh, I'll have your soon to that. Yeah, have your yeah man. So uh, so I gave you several. Um, there are tons more. Uh, oh yeah, stamp from the beginning. Now, now even Kendi is not a Christian, uh, but that is called stamp from the beginning. The definitive history of racist ideas in America. Uh, he's a historian, and so that that book is good. Uh, Stand your ground by Kelly Brown Douglas would be good um, as well. So I've given you several um, where I think you can you can read through certain things and kind of gain a deeper understanding of history. Um, and then one. Uh, Marvin McMickle, um, and it's called The Black Encyclopedia by Dr. Marvin McMickle. Uh, he was on, and in terms of podcasts, Jew 3 podcasts, um, check them out. Subscribe to her. Lisa Fields is killing it. Uh, subscribe subscribe to her. Uh, um, True ID podcast with Adam Coleman. Urban Logia with Damon Richardson uh, would be good uh, as well. Um, so I would, I would look at them. Um, and then I have the Urban Perspective, which is on Apple Podcasts and then on YouTube. Uh, so those are a list of resources I think uh, you can go to. And in case people ask, because people are starting to ask, in terms of the clothing for imagery, it's IamApparel.net. IamApparel.net for uh, imagery um, that you can wear That's that color corrects how history has been whitewashed. No, awesome. And again, just to bring everything that we said, thank you, Pastor Jerome. Just to bring everything that we said together, it's this. Look, uh, those who have been transformed by the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, Yeshua, I would even go on to say, uh, those who believe and place full saving faith in that, in the gospel, you are a part of the church, the church. Those who are called out by God for his specific purpose, to walk out his image here on the earth, leading into eternity after this life. So I will say this, bringing everything together. We believe in the church. So there are multiple colors, multiple ethnicities that are part of the church. If we're in the church, we are brothers and sisters. More particularly, we are just focusing on the value of the black church because as already has been highlighted, it has been demeaned over time and it needs to be redeemed. And you know we are change agents that can help be a part of that. So again, with all that's going on with a lot of the racial unrest in our country and even the reason why we even did Conscious Christianity was to combat these ideas that are already out there. So we just wanted to take the time out to speak directly to the value of what the black church has offered because in a sense, everybody here, their faith has been enriched by attending some of those churches so it's been more of a help than a hindrance of anything but that being said a lot of resources were mentioned by pastor jerome we'll include all of those in the show notes for anybody wondering uh, we do have a book list so a lot of the books pastor jerome listed we have a list of 45 books 
purchase some of them. You may say, where do I start? You can go on order because there's a certain order to them, but just purchase some of them. There are 45 books. A lot of the authors are of color. Some of them are not, but regardless, uh, a lot of it has references in the books. That's the key thing to note when you have a book. Where are the references in the back? Where, where's the index? Or are they just talking about the side of the neck? Like, what's going on? So we'll, we'll send you that link. That link is wokechristian.com slash books. wokechristian.com slash books. Uh, if you go there, it's a list of 45 books, many of the books that Pastor Jerome mentioned. And we'll list all the other resources. With that being said, I didn't know if anybody had any other resources. That book list is pretty extensive, but you can feel free to mention them now. If not, we can close it up. But what do y'all think? Any other resources? I have one more, man, that I thought was really, really good. It's um, The Black Church and the African American Experience by Sierra Lincoln. Um, man, this is a phenomenal book. It goes into the history of the Black Church, you know, from from the start until the finish. And it deals with so many different things of how the Black Church has been apparent and there like from the from 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 the time of its inception it's been it has its hands in every single thing so man from politics to you know uh hit like to the historical background of certain different things i mean like uh economics every single thing dude there's a lot of things in this book man that just explains so much so much stuff about the black church i mean sierra lincoln did an amazing job I think it took him like 11 years or something like that to write the book or something like that, mm-hmm. man. Um, and there's a lot of, like he has about maybe, I think it's about maybe 40 pages of references in the back. So, I mean, it's a, um, it's a really solid book. And um, I would say that if anybody wants to know more about the black church, they should definitely read that book. Yeah. I had a couple more, um, uh, reading while black, uh, that's fairly new by Dr. Esau McCauley. Um, that I think that that would definitely be uh, a good one. Um, uh, I've got one in terms of like more commentary and preaching. Um, Renewal, that was my first book. On preaching, learning from a legend, learning from a legend by uh, uh, on what we can learn from Gardner C. Uh, Taylor. Um, so, yeah, so I think, yeah, so Renewal, that one. Man, Joaquin got, yeah, he really, <laughs> that's a, uh, that's on the book of Ruby. I appreciate it, man. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So I, I would, I would say, I would, I would kind of add that, add that to the the list as well. No, nah, awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you everybody for listening. Um, as always, you know, you can check us out at wellchristian.com. We get a link to the podcast. It's the truth serum podcast. We are on wherever podcasts are streamed. We are on Spotify. We're on iTunes. We're on Pocket Cast. Uh, we're on Tune Core. Like, we're on a lot of things. So, wherever you have listened to podcasts, search for us, Truth Serum, or you can search Truth Serum Crossover, and you'll get us in the many episodes we talked about in season two. Not only that, but feel free to share this episode with others. Uh, if you've ever heard anyone say anything uh, that, you know, that's a negative, and maybe they had a ne- negative experience, share this episode with them and let them hear a lot of the resources we mentioned, as well as some of the you know misnomers that have happened throughout time just talk about hey the, the church is valuable because the black church is still a part of the church the church is valuable don't let anybody talk down on the church uh when uh really it won't take that much to correct it you know uh god died for the church resurrected for the church so 
we can't just let people talk about it casually. But that being said, feel free. You can find us. If you have a question, feel free to email truth at crossoverbf.com. We'll get your message and then we will respond. Truth at crossoverbf.com. But if anything else, let us know. Uh, Aaron, what's that hashtag? What's, hey. the, what's the hashtag? He the hashtag. <laughs> hashtag speak the truth. Hey, hashtag speak the truth. Hashtag truth serum. Uh, we thank y'all for listening. And we'll see you next time. Peace.